All right. Well, welcome. It's good to see you guys, kind of, without my glasses, but see enough of you. As you know, we're uh, working through Ephesians, and we're in chapter 4, and I want to uh, continue in chapter 4 onward in verse 7. As we started it last week, this uh, incredible book, getting back into it. Uh, But let's just open in prayer first. Lord, we just honor you. We lift your name high. We lift your word. And we humble ourselves to your word of God. We ask that you would speak to us today. We ask that whatever seed is of you that is sown today, that it would take root, that you would cause growth. Whatever watering that has happened today, that you would cause growth, Lord. So we just submit ourselves to you and ask that you would speak clearly and plainly to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. I'm actually going to start in Psalm 68 today. The reason I'm going to do that is because Paul actually quotes from this psalm in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's an amazing psalm, and I think there's a a thrust in it that I want us to catch. And so I'm just going to briefly just touch down in in Psalm 68. And this is how the psalm starts. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, and may those who hate him flee from his presence. As as smoke is driven away, so so drive them away. As wax melts before a fire, so the wicked will perish before God. It's an amazing uh, chapter. It's 36, 37 verses, and it's just about this scene of this incredibly triumphant Lord, God, just a dominance. And Paul kind of focuses in around verse 17 and 18, and that's where I just, for time's sake, want to quickly go there. Talking of this this Lord, surrounded by outnumbered thousands of chariots, the Lord came from Mount Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended to the heights, you led the crowd of captives. You received gifts from the people, even from those who rebelled against you. Now the Lord God will live amongst us there. Now clearly you can kind of see from this this passage of Scripture that the Lord is coming down. The Lord has come down and He's going to go back up. He he has ascended as a victorious leader who is leading His vanquished foes. And this was often very common in the old days that if you went and defeated an enemy, you would come back with that enemy, the king of that enemy, enslaved as, as a triumphant procession of your victory. And this is what we see here in this wonderful chapter. Let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you recall, Paul is sort of transitioning out of this place of exhortation to the, to the, to the reader or the listener uh, to, from a place of humility, and in that place of humility, a unity. One, there's one body, there's one faith, there's one baptism. And from that, he's now coming into, but to each one of us, as grace has been given according to Christ's gift, this grace that it speaks of. And it's interesting to see that the grace that comes to us is according to the gift. So if you don't have the grace, you can't walk in the gift. Or if you think you have the gift without the grace, it goes together. And this, this sentiment is, is obviously uh, in other areas of Scripture, and we see this in Romans chapter 12. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly, if prophecy in proportion to one's faith. 
So we see that God gives gifts. And Jesus here in Ephesians chapter 4, he is giving gifts. And along with the gifts comes a grace. And along with us walking in it, by faith we take a hold of the grace and the gift. It's this wonderful scene of how we can walk this out. Here is we're going to get into Psalm 68. Ephesians chapter 8, or sorry, verse, verse 8. I thought we changed that. It should be Ephesians 4, verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led the captive, the captives, and he gave gifts to people. Now, a bit different from the quote that we got from Psalm 68. In that psalm, it was that the gifts were given to him by the people. But in this situation, he also gives gifts, which is a significant difference. Continuing to verse 9. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. These three verses sort of encapsulate what Christ has done. The reason he descended and the reason he ascended. It is the bookends. It sort of gives this quick synopsis. And you may have never considered this before, this particular perspective, as it were, this description. But I feel strongly to dig into this, this section of Scripture in Ephesians 4 to illuminate some things that you might not have considered. I mean, Paul is clear that Jesus stepped down in Philippians. He talks about he, he did not see something to be co-equal with God as something to be grasped, but made himself lower than the angels. He descended in the likeness of human flesh. And he descended down. He did not cling to his rightful place. But I'd like to look a little bit closer to give the details. I always figure if Scripture gives us more detail, then let's get into the detail. If Scripture doesn't give us detail, why are you trying to get into the detail? Ephesians 4, 8. Depending on what version of the Bible you use, and there are various versions, it can be a little bit confusing as to what the author is intending here. NIV says this. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. NLT, New Living Translation. That is why the scripture says, or that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives, gave gifts to the people. Now, when I read that, I'm thinking, well, did he go? And are the prisoners the people he's bringing with him that he saved out of prison? It's sometimes hard to grasp and put together. So I often go to the, the, the literal translation. And in the literal translation, it's a little harder to read, but it gives us more understanding of what the author is saying. Wherefore, he saith, having gone up on high, he led captive captivity and gave gifts to men. Now there, as you can imagine, different perspectives on this particular passage from various theologians, etc., I'm going to give you what I feel the Bible is saying here, and I feel like I can bring before you evidence as to what is going on here and what Jesus has done when he stepped down. 
Now, we do know that Jesus, in the fact that he stepped down and took captives, he stepped down from on high, so he stepped down to earth into our region, our authority. This extra, he exerted authority on earth. And this will be my focus today. What are the captors that he took captive? What is it that has held people in bondage? And this is an important point to understand the nuances and the depth of what Christ has done for you and I. And I submit to you today that that sin and death have captured the human race. Now, I understand the devil is in there. We'll get to the devil and so on. But I want to show you how Jesus addresses both of these captors. And he does, not ma- he does not wave a magic wand, but must address it the way in which it's been established by God. Now, how do we get into this position where this is now, these are our masters? Essentially, sin is the master, death is the result, but we can get into that. This is how it started. If you know me, I talk a lot about Romans 5, 6, and 7. Romans is a great book. Also, 1 Corinthians 15 also is a great descriptive on this topic. But it's very simple. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. What's wrong with the world, Nick? Why is there so much sin? I'm telling you. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Why do, we, why do we die? They don't, actually don't know why we die. We die because of sin. Sin has infected the race. It's, it's on the planet. It takes, it's taken dominion, as it were, over people. Now, you'll see there's an interplay between sin and death. If Adam had not sinned, he would not have died. Death does not become because... Um, note that death does not cause sin, but sin came first. And as a result of sin, there was death. The soul that sins shall die. Sin is the primary issue that God has. And often we can deviate away from that. Churches can deviate away from that. But the sin must be addressed first and foremost. His name shall be Jesus and he shall save his people from their sin. He is the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. Why does death pass over? Because the blood's on the lentil. The blood is on the lentil. Something died. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It's throughout Scripture. And we cannot move as a church, in in any church that follows Christ, away from this being primary. For For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Rule in there, as you see, you can imagine, is to dominate. It's exactly what you would think. It's to enslave We see apparently 10 out of 10 people die statistically. Did you know that? That's a pretty high rate of death. When you say 100% of people would die. It's infected us as a people. We don't know what it is. We are under its slavery. We're dominated by it. There is no escaping it. As much as billionaires are trying to transpose their mind into AI and they'll walk around in meta world. I don't know if you looked at it. Not a great place to live, but... They, 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 it's just bizarreness. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought to them death. Yes, Nick, are you making your point? Yes, I hope so. There's no escaping these two captors. 
ever since the beginning. doesn't matter where you live. doesn't matter what time you've lived in. doesn't matter the color of your skin. doesn't matter your culture. All over the planet, this is the wonderful thing that unites us, is sin and death. These are the two chapters I'm going to talk about. Okay. So I want to talk about the natural world. Something you can relate to. Something that you will understand in order to illuminate the spiritual realm. Now in the natural world, we have what's called laws. Natural laws. I'm not talking about governmental laws, legal laws. I'm not talking about the law, the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about laws. Isaac Newton, you know, in the late 1600s, came up with some laws, the law of gravity, the law of inertia. These laws we're very familiar with. We actually, we are governed by them even right now in this room. There are multiple laws, that, natural laws that we're living under right now. Now, we can become, I think, about uh, the law of gravity when I get a little close to the edge of a cliff. I'm very aware of that law. Or your child's like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's laws that will take over. There's laws that are being acted if you step off. You don't just float. It's called the law of gravity. Now, we don't try and change these laws. We're not like, can somebody change the law of gravity so I could just be closer to this cliff or I could jump off a five-story building? We, we, we understand those laws. Now, we do look for other laws that maybe could overcome those laws. But that law is set. And I won't get into the E, e equals MC squared. And all the, the, it is because it is a lot of weird calculus. How, sorry about that. It's disgusting hearing people drink. I understand. Let me give you an example of the law that is very familiar to us. On your left, you have a hot air balloon. A hot air balloon only rises up because it gets hot air. Now, all you physicists out there can explain why that happens. All I know is I observed that. It goes up. That's interesting. It's weird. On its own, it just is lifeless, lies on the ground. Or a helium balloon. Have you ever been to the P&E and those $20 balloons floating up in the sky because the kid let go? It just effortlessly, effortless, effortlessly <laughs> rises. It's not even working. It's just rising. Whether it's the law of lift or whatever it is, the density of the, the material, the gas, I'll leave it to you to figure that out. All I know is it doesn't look like it's even trying. It's like, wow, it's going high. What's even higher? It's higher, it's higher. And it keeps rising. So we see this in nature. Natural laws. Just, just natural. They're, they're there. And by which the universe exists. And there, I want to submit to you, there are spiritual laws. It's not just that I just hope that Jesus... No, there are laws within the spiritual realm. Go read Colossians chapter 2. Thrones and dominions and rulers. All of these things established for him and by him. Yes, there was rebellion. But even within the demonic realm, there are clear structures. And that's why even deliverance from demons and so on, it's all about the structures that have been laid out in the spiritual realm that you engage in. And to take seriously when you look at this, there's a... I call it an arithmetic nature to the scriptures. There's obviously, it's not just contained, but A plus B does equal C. 
Repentance and faith will save you. Okay, let's get back into the spiritual. Now, the Bible speaks of the law of sin and death. Like a law. Not the Ten Commandments. Not Charlton Heston and Moses. It's not what I'm talking about here. But it's nonetheless laws. And I want to show you that Jesus addressed them as laws that are upon the people, like gravity. No matter what you do out there, no matter how you try to placate yourself and make yourself better, the law of sin and death is upon you. And it's, abs- it's as, abs- as absurd as me trying to fly by flapping my wings. Imagine this. Nick, what are you doing? I'm going to fly. I'm overcoming gravity. And with the law of sin and death upon you, like I'm a righteous person. Look how good I am. It's his madness in the spiritual realm. You're a slave. And you're a darn good one. You're really good at it. Romans chapter 6 really illuminates this. Powerful verse. Therefore, there's no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, what's amazing about this, and if you would study it out and grip your heart, go read Romans chapter 7, where Paul is struggling with this sin. And how the law stirs up the sin. And So he comes to this revelation of the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And we get to know in Romans chapter 8, he talks about living in the Spirit and walking according to the Spirit. It's powerful. It's necessary. Now, you may not be experiencing this, and I don't have time to get into that. All I'm trying to do is expose that Jesus Christ dealt with the captors. You want to talk about why you don't have this in your life, that's a whole other story. And be happy to sit with you. This is what it means. Just like in the natural, we have to be in a hot air balloon. I cannot fly. But if I get into a hot air balloon, I go up when I'm in the balloon. An airplane. If I told you, hey guys, I'm going to fly myself to uh, Toronto next week, you'd be like, what? You mean you're getting in a plane, right? No, I'm going to fly myself. I have to be in the plane in order to fly. And that's why the in Christ, and we've talked about this a lot, particularly in Ephesians chapter 1, you must be in Christ in order to partake of this. We must be found in him to rise above the law of sin and death. Our identity, who we are, we must embrace death so that we may gain life. You're like, well, Nick, I'm not sure I follow you on this yet. Okay, okay we're going to back up and reload here. My question is, how did Jesus do this? Is there any evidences in Scripture that would illuminate us? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. It's one thing to sit there and know that the law of life in Christ Jesus has overcome the law of sin and death, but how do I partake of it? And I think when the Scripture breaks things down into more bite-sized bits, we can digest it because the Scripture is clear on what Christ has done. This is not some weird thing on the seven horns and the dragon in Revelation. And your interpretation on this is clear. It's ubiquitous. It's throughout Scripture of what Christ has done. Let's look at his right from the beginning. Jesus was born 
He was born of a virgin. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Because he could not be born in the damnic nature. And I really encourage you guys to take seriously the little nuances that we give up in the world to be cool. When people say, you believe in the virgin birth? You're like, well, you know, I could get rid of that. No, you can't. If Jesus is of Adam, we're done. Jesus is not of Adam. He is born of the Father. He is born of the Spirit. He's born outside of Adam. Critical. He lived a sinless life. He lived perfectly before his Father. He was crucified. Forgive me, Lisa, I I couldn't put all the the, uh, scriptures up because time-wise, I just don't want... But God showed his love for us. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took our sins upon himself to placate the law of sin. We're able to stand now before God's law, which is the law that exposes sin. It is like the x-ray machine when you've got something wrong internal and you don't know what it is. You go to the doctor, they take an x-ray of you. Later on, they go, this is your problem right here. This is what the law does. The law speaks to those who are, ever, who are under the law so that every mouth may be shut and all the world come accountable to God. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 onwards. So the law has purpose. It's the x-ray machine, but like the x-ray machine, it can't heal you. It can only expose you. It shows you what the problem is. All of us here in this room could go through the law and we would all fall short and the law would say, you're sick, you're a sinner. Because before the law, all of us are condemned. So not only is Jesus dealing with sin as a stronghold in the life of the Christian, he is placating the law which demands justice and the law of God is good. It's righteous actually, because it says the righteousness apart from the law implying the righteousness is in the law. Forgive me if I'm going too fast, but on these things, it's worthy of a great investigation. But understand this, the law of God is completely satisfied with our position. You need to understand, at the end of Hebrews chapter 3, it says, we come before him with, with boldness. Not like sheep is why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. When Jesus was crucified, I was crucified. The law was met. Jesus was buried. His death and burial, okay? Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up before the, the Pharisees and all that were there, all the people of the religious, at the religious festivals. This man, delivered over by a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Jesus died. It's throughout the... Uh, Acts, they speak this plainly. Jesus died. In Romans chapter 6, it's clear again the significance of water baptism in the identification with Christ's death. We cannot gloss over that. You may not think that's significant, but it is significant in the principles and the laws, as it were, of the spiritual realm. Prison. Jesus put himself into the clutches 
of death. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. He's dealing with death, sorry, he's dealing with sin, and he's dealing with death, the principles, the captors. Hebrews chapter 2, two great verses here. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have had their lives, all their lives, had the fear of dying. Slaves to the fear of dying. Incredible. His ascension. And we see this. And when he ascended, and he led captivity, captives, captive, captivity captive and gave gifts to men. In his ascension, it's an incredible, triumphant, victorious place that we get to partake in. Because when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified. When Jesus was buried, I was buried. When Jesus was risen, I was risen. When Jesus ascended, I ascended in him. It's all in the scriptures. This is the facts in the spiritual realm. And these are the facts that we must engage in order to engage effectively in the spiritual realm. And I would challenge you, your enemy, the devil, is always trying to draw you into your flesh where you're powerless and useless spiritually. The flesh profits nothing. I'm just going to summarize here. Land in the ship. 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He's the first fruits. His resurrection is so critical for our, our understanding of revelation. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection of that has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order in this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Simple, clear. Like I said, it's a worthy, worthy study to understand our position. Because death can still strike us and put fear into us. Even Thessalonians, one of the issues Paul was addressing was what happens when you die? And actually, Paul addresses those that have fallen asleep. Interesting. After this, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And it will be triumphed over. But this is the wonderful promise that Jesus gave eternal life, that we would live, that he has conquered death, that he has conquered sin. And I feel like, especially with COVID, that there, was, there was a fear that entered many Christians about death. 
this fear of dying. There was something that gripped them. And I really feel like we need to see these things broken off. I feel there's ample evidence to build your faith that Christ has paid the price. It is finished. He is seated. It means he's finished. There's nothing else to add to what he has done. Do we believe that? To believe it is to act on it. Do we act on that? So if the Lord has done these amazing things, what do you think Satan, when challenging a Christian, challenges you on? This. How do I know that? Well, I see it with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say this? Did God really say that? Did he really mean this? I see it in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus. If you are the Son of God, trying to get Jesus to somehow prove to Satan that he's the Son of God, he's got nothing to prove to Satan. Nothing, no need to prove anything to him. In chapter 3, he just heard, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Whose voice is louder in your life? The Word of God? The truth? What do we fill our heads with? What do we meditate on? What do we allow to be sown into our lives? What seeds? And then we're shocked. Like, well, how did this grow? Well, you let it get sown. When you just allow anything sown in, don't be shocked of what grows, of what chokes, of what takes over. Let's stand together. Lord. I just really feel, feel in particular that if you struggle with a spirit of fear, yes, fear of death for sure. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to come forward and we're going to pray for you. If you want to continue to live in it, obviously stay where you are. But if you struggle with the fear of death, we want to pray for you. If you don't know who Jesus is, we will introduce you to him today. If you struggle with fear of anything, it needs to be addressed. Fear is like trying to swim with an anchor around your ankle. It will always drag you down and you'll learn to try and compensate and you stay in shallow water and you never go out into the deep where you're called to go in God. Because you can still walk with that anchor. I'm not going to drown. And so you're just corralled. And how long have you been corralled for? How many years are you willing to trade? Fear is a mocker of God. He's a mocker of his words. He's a mocker of all of this. Fear robs God's people. Fear and faith do not like each other. They are not bedfellows. It is not something you will ever find working together. Faith and hope. Faith and hope and love. Oh, yes. So if that's anyone here, I'm just, we're going we're gonna, to um, end with some worship. Allow God to move upon you. Avail your heart to him. Humble yourself. Admit that you don't know it all. Admit that you have missed it in many areas of your life. I only speak because I know my own. Don't put the puffed up in the spiritual realm because he sees it all. In the natural, everyone thinks you got it together. But spiritually, nah. In the natural, you've got finances, you've got success, you've got that. But in the spiritual, you're an infant. God is calling his church to make a decision to grow up to desire maturity. But in order to grow up and desire maturity, you must do it in his way. You must embrace what he has done and walk in these principles. 
It is a complete awareness of Christ and not yourself. It's not I, but Christ. We boast in the gospel because that is Jesus. So Lord, we come before you and we declare the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ for all life and all godliness. Father, we just lift to you that you would break off any fear. We repent of being scared of the enemy. We repent of being scared of death. We repent of fearing anything but you. We ask that you would break off the spirit of fear. That you would break off the fear of death. That you would break these things off that pollute the mind. We ask that you would draw men and women to repentance in this place today. Just allow the Lord to work just as we worship.